Hi there, and thank you for listening to Talks with Taylor, a podcast where I talk about things that interest me, such as mental health and college life. I'm your host, Taylor Helms. Today we'll be having a few different conversations with both professionals and a university student about mental health, depression, and anxiety, and what it's been like for them this past year, and how the coronavirus pandemic has affected them. Return to normal life is unknown, and who knows what will be considered normal after this virus has been contained or treated. As vaccines roll out in California and across the United States, the return to normalcy seems a little closer than it did several months ago. But one thing that won't return to normal so easily is the mental health and well-being of children's teens and adults. In October 2020, Psychiatric Times reported that depression and anxiety diagnoses have increased in the last year. What's more alarming about this data is that younger children and high school teens are showing common signs of depression and anxiety, mainly due to the lack of socialization and normal routines and how the last year has negatively impacted their emotional well-being. Today, I will be talking with a psychiatrist who has shifted her practice to an online format, Dr. Nancy Berkey, mental health education assistant at California State University Dominguez Hills, Josephine Lara, and a student who has utilized psychological services at Dominguez Hills, Melanie Ruiz. Dr. Nancy Berkey previously had a private practice in California. Soon after retiring and moving to New Mexico, she restarted and refreshed her psychiatric practice, but virtually. Last year, some colleagues told her about the demand for psychological care due to the pandemic's effects, which led her to Teladoc an online medical provider application that allows physicians and psychiatrists to connect with patients via laptop, tablet, or mobile phone, and the internet. Through the online platform, and since she is licensed in California and New Mexico, she decided to temporarily come out of retirement. I think the younger generation is phenomenally anxious right now. And for good reason. The problem with the pandemic is that it it doesn't allow people to have a lot of their usual outlets. The usual reliefs, people can't travel. I'm hearing that both with Teladoc and the physicians who don't have, who also have the issue of, and this happens in most people's workplace place. If you're working, if you're not working from home, then a lot of workplaces are wearing a mask. And the mask guards against the sort of normal social ability to pick up facial expressions and and the usual kind of office sarcasm that can be kind of connecting for people, you know, all of that is stifled. It's very much just the facts, ma'am, you know? So people are, they, they don't have the ability to kind of go, you know, like it's just stifling. And so I think that is making people much more inside themselves, unable to really have the outlets and the usual repartee that occurs between workers or students or, you know, in whatever format you might be in, you know, you just don't have that kind of camaraderie and repartee. With the teledoc, I think you do have a lot more younger people reaching out because like you say, they're much more adept at figuring out access on the internet. So I think I have a younger population probably now, 
but that's impressionistic. I have no idea the data. You know, you kind of have to adapt to their system. You have to go through their trainings. They also limit what medications I can use. So you're not allowed to use certain controlled substances. And some patients need those. So I then have to refer them back to either their primary care doc or someone locally, which is not easy as um, is well known. There's not a lot of docs to get into locally. So it really, I think a lot of people still are left undertreated because our hands are a little bit tied on what we're allowed to use. I mean, when you talk about people who don't have access to the internet, you're probably talking about people who are poorer. And usually those folks go to the community health centers. Those are called different things in different states, but there's a system of community, county, mental health clinics. And those are, in some ways, those are easier to access because you can sometimes walk in and, you know, they're kind of adapted to people who struggle with, you know, the internet and that kind of thing. So those folks can go to the community mental health centers. There is a lot of legitimate reason that this generation of people in their 20s and early 30s are under a, I mean, it's a difficult time anyway. It's the time in which people are kind of figuring out their life. You know, we go to college and then you get out, jobs are down, the social interactions, the normal contacts people have to both socially and professionally to, to connect with people and make any, do any networking is so down. And they're at a time in their life where they kind of have to figure it out. And then of course, there's the issue of unemployment, which is huge. I I read something recently where almost 50% of people under 30, maybe are, have gone back to live with their parents. I mean, and, and that takes away one's sense of self. You know, there's nothing like paying your own electric bill to feel like you are entering adulthood. You know, it becomes symbolic. And when you're back with your parents, no matter how nice your parents are and how well you get along with them, I mean, putting that aside, there's something that can feel very personal and people take it very personal. You can read about the fact that unemployment is high. You can read about the fact that everybody's lonely. You can, and yet you still see, yeah, but there's some guy who still is employed and has a girlfriend. And so how come not me? So it becomes very self-blaming in that sense. And, and it, um, it gets internalized in a way that I think the generation is going to have a hard time recovering from. However, if it turns a corner, I think they'll be right on it. I mean, I think they'll be ready to move out and get that job and, you know, go to their after work parties and they'll be there. I think people are incredibly resilient. And I think the younger generation realizes they've been dealt a pretty bad deal. Nobody was expecting it. And I think they'll be pretty resilient to want to get back on the treadmill pretty quickly and turn this around. Josephine Lada has worked at Cal State Dominguez Hills' psychological services for 15 years. She initially started as a volunteer in 2006, but soon figured out that mental health and education was her calling. The pandemic has brought some positive changes for her department, such as updating technology and software, and an opportunity to get creative with their communications and promotions. But the negatives are prominent. Accessing the link for appointments or services can be difficult or hard to navigate. Also, Zoom fatigue has been a chief complaint among others like depression and anxiety. 
2006 when I started up to now, you can see the shift like on our campus regarding just um, the demand for mental health service, just a little bit more of the comfort level of people actually seeking out, reaching out and talking about it. I wanna say when I first started, there wasn't that much of a culture that actually talked about it. They just didn't feel comfortable with it. And I wanna say like over through the years, there's been an increase of that comfort. I do think that it still has a lot to do with just what's happening like in our society. There's a bigger push now for mental health. And then especially right now, since we are in the pandemic, there's a big shift like towards um, just mental health and wellness and kind of, you know, maintaining that. I feel like mental health is such an important topic and you can either very much discourage someone as well as encourage someone to like seek those services and then especially right now since we are in the pandemic there's a big shift like towards um, just mental health and wellness and kind of you know maintaining that we're not too sure how things are the outlook it is for the fall so just being prepared in case if, if we continue being remotely or if we do go in person just so that we can function overall we've always seen like stress and anxiety i would say since the pandemic, student fatigue isn't really one of the biggest ones, as well as depression. Those are like the three ones that we constantly always see with students. I want to say the biggest hurdle that I found is just getting students access to that Zoom link. We're finding ourselves, since all of our services must be confidential just due to the manner and degree that they are, uh, we find ourselves in a very predicament where it's like we're trying to maintain that confidentiality. So we have these uh, rigid like process of steps that students must follow in order to either get into an appointment or get into a psychiatric consultation or get into like a support group. And so because we have all these steps, like that in itself is creating a barrier for the students. So I often find myself always delegating like the same type of information of how to make an appointment, how to get into um, a, a support group. And so it's always feeding off the same information over and over. And it's like, no matter how we manage to deliver it, we still get the same repeated question. I noticed that for when we do have events where it's an open link, where we don't have, you know, they have to go through here or they have to call here. Like we get a lot more of a, a turnout and response from the students versus the other way. There's been a lot more that we've been able to do so when we are in person, we haven't been able to do a lot of outreach as we have now. It's just more feasible and easier assessed than it was in the past. I want to say another positive thing that came out of, um, out of going virtual is really getting our creativity caps on. <laughs> We've been very self-structured and just doing everything like in person that when we went virtual, it was more like, okay, how are we going to operate and function? So that was kind of interesting. To be completely honest, just the demand, while it can be easier, certain things, it also just puts a lot more strain on like my personal mental health. <laughs> I often find myself just stretched and limited, trying to find that balance. I mean, I, I believe like most of us, we're trying to find that unique balance of working from home, managing like our life, while also trying to give ourselves like those mental health breaks. Lastly, we hear from Melanie Ruiz, a junior at Cal State Dominguez Hills who has taken advantage of the resources and counseling offered through the university's psychological services. 
During the last year, Melanie has gone through her own share of challenges, including choosing her education and schoolwork over her job, to finding and rekindling a relationship with her birth father, his wife, and her new siblings. She's gone to therapy in the past, but the new semi-virtual reality we're living in led her to peer counseling, Bible study, and cookout nights with her friends, all hosted on Zoom. It's funny because even though like the pandemic was happening, I actually met my paternal father for the first time in 20 years. So that was happening. So many life changes like in a year. And so I had a difficult time not only managing like school and like work, but then also managing like this brand new relationship that just flourished in my life. I didn't even know how to go about that, you know? And so I did seek out counseling. I didn't have one-on-one counseling. I had a relationship support group um but also we talked about like mental health and stuff and how we can communicate how we're feeling during this time to our relationships how we can reach out and it was really good the only thing was during toro link i know that that was offered but kind of accessing the link was i know a bit of a struggle for some people i got the link directly from my therapist who i had like had a one-on-one counseling with her like a couple years back so I reached out to her and she emailed me and told me about the support group and that's how I joined and I only joined for like about two to three months and yeah it was it was pretty good we talked about pandemic how we feel how we're managing our relationships during the pandemic and it was very helpful I think the most difficult thing was being okay with my plans changing I think that before we were told to like stay home. I had so many plans to like travel or to just hang out with friends and actually accepting the fact that like life is gonna look different and there's so much uncertainty to know how long it's gonna last. I struggled with accepting <laughs> and not knowing um, the future, right? So that was the most difficult for me by far. I still struggle with that to be honest. I felt very alone. I'm an only child, so I rely deeply on my friends <laughs> for like mental sanity and like help. So in the beginning of the pandemic, I was working from home as well and doing school and it was so hectic because I was literally like I was on the computer like kid you not, I clocked in at work from 8 a.m. and I didn't get off until like almost 1 or 2 in the morning. And so it was just really hard to kind of get understanding or like flexibility from like my professors or from my boss at the time to be like hey I'm really stressed and I'm really struggling because they couldn't physically see like how difficult and how busy like my days were and before I was I guess you could say I was like a social butterfly I had a lot of friends I had a lot of connections so study groups were like huge for me like I was on campus like as soon as I clocked in like 9 a.m and didn't get home till like almost midnight sometimes doing study groups um going to office hours uh talking to students and actually sitting down and doing homework together so that was so helpful as I transitioned into the pandemic and I was alone I kind of struggled with that because I needed like my community to like kind of help me so I actually took up a couple of hobbies I actually started knitting during the pandemic and knitting has been so soothing. It's helped my anxiety a lot. And it's like a really great way to kind of take your mind off of like deadlines or really hard hitting assignments. 
and I've actually transitioned my Bible studies virtually as well. And I've been involved, um, a part of Christian fellowship on campus called InterVarsity. And yeah, it, I've kind of built a virtual community there where um, they pray over you and you can do fun activities like knitting together, teaching people how to knit um, to ease the anxiety. I think it's fair to say it's been a tough year for most of us. From this virus taking the lives of hundreds of thousands to an eye-opening year of racial reckoning, and even facing some challenges that may have been harder to come by if we weren't forced to quarantine in our homes in the name of public health and safety. Technology and the internet have played a big role in our lives this last year, and I'm sure some of it is here to stay. Just as it has as many positive benefits like connecting people through distance and disease, there are barriers and negative consequences you should keep in mind. Not everyone has access or the knowledge to navigate the World Wide Web and reap its benefits. I'm Taylor Helms. Thank you for listening. Until next time, be sure to get some sunshine, drink water, and be kind. <laughs>